0: It is indeed wonderful to see all of you here today at this hour of worship, and glad that you are here, especially if you are visiting with us. We're delighted to have you here, and we hope we um, earn your return visit by our friendliness. Uh, We do invite you to come back to be with us uh, as often as you can. There are no activities this afternoon or evening at the church so that folks can spend time uh, with family on Easter. We invite you to do that. If you're interested in the possibility of going on mission trips to Guatemala, Bob Newton will be here to talk about a new opportunity that's just in the planning stage. Uh, Mission groups will be able to stay in houses with all modern amenities while serving those in need. So the meeting is Tuesday, April the 26th at 6 p.m., in the Family Life Center. If you have any questions, contact Dr. Joy Hunter. Uh, I mean Hudson, excuse me. (laughs) Joy Hudson. Get my doctor straight. Um, So anyway, let me pass that word on to you. Other announcements that are in your bulletin, I hope that you will uh, be guided by those announcements as to the various activities um, in the church life in the days to come. And again, we welcome you all here. Let us now begin our time together in worship. faith in God with the words of the Apostles Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. In your bulletin is the celebration of lighting of the paschal candle, and invite you to find that insert and join with me as we uh, celebrate this indication of Christ's life with us as we light the paschal candle. Grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ our Lord, brothers and sisters in Christ, on this most holy morning in which Christ Jesus. Passed over from death to life, we gather as a church to watch and pray. This is the Passover of Christ, in which we share in Christ's victory over death. Join me in the opening prayer, please. God of life, through Jesus Christ, you have bestowed upon the world the light of life. Sanctify this paschal candle and grant that our hearts and minds may also be kindled with holy desire to shine forth with the brightness of Christ rising, that we may attain the feast of everlasting light Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The light of Christ rises in glory, overcoming the darkness of sin and death. This time I invite the children to come forward to join Beverly Davis for a few moments of sharing.
1: Are you happy? That's good. I'm glad you're happy. Did you go to the Easter egg hunt yesterday? You didn't have an Easter egg hunt? Wow. You were busy, weren't you? When you hear the word Easter, what do you think of? What, what's the first thing that comes in your mind? What, John? Jesus. Anybody got any other ideas? What's the first thing that comes in your mind? He hang, they hung him on a cross, that's right. Any he, What? He rose from the dead on the cross. Good. Easter's really not about bunnies and eggs and candy and new clothes, is it? But yet that's what some people seem to think, right? Well, I'm going to first I'm going to read to you something from the Bible, and then I'm going to tell you another true story besides this one. This comes from Matthew chapter 28, and I'm going to read the first seven verses. I think Reverend Holt's going to read a few more than that in a few minutes. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, and in one of the other places where I read it, it said, before the sun came up, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to the tomb. Now, what's the tomb? It's it's where they placed That's right, and in this case, it was where they placed Jesus' body, right? Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was brilliant white. The guards shook for fear. Now, the Romans had sent some soldiers out there to to watch the grave to make sure nobody tried to take Jesus' body. And when they saw him, they fell down in a dead faint. And then the angel spoke to the woman. And he said, Don't be frightened. I know know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he isn't here. For he has come back to life again, just as he said he would. Come and see where his body was. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and he's going to Galilee to meet them there. And that tell them that is his message to them. Now, that would be kind of scary, wouldn't it? It would be for me. I don't like to go out in the dark anyway. But what was the message? Jesus has risen. That Jesus has risen. Now, I'm going to... T- you think about that while well, I tell you another story. This happened, well, a while. This is a true story, but it happened a while back before any of you were born. There was a Sunday school class of second and third graders, and so some of you would be in that class if, if it was here at this church today. We'll call their Sunday school teacher, Miss Jones. And these children all knew each other pretty well. They'd been coming since they were in the nursery together. So they knew each other, and a lot of them went to school together, too. Except for one boy who was in their class. He was a little bit older than the rest. His name was Timmy. Timmy had cerebral palsy. Now that's something you don't have to worry about. None of you have it. None of you will have it. But if something happened the day Timmy was born, and it caused him to have this problem made it hard for him to walk. He even had trouble hanging on to things. Sometimes he'd fall down or drop his books and stuff. And Timmy was sick a lot. So that Timmy missed so much third grade, the year he was in third grade, he missed so much school. His teachers and his parents decided it was better if he repeated third grade. He was a smart boy. He just missed a lot of of school. And so Timmy was in this class with these other children, and they didn't know him. As well. Well, on Palm Sunday, Miss Jones said to the class, "I'm going to give each one of you an empty plastic Easter egg, and I want you to take it home and bring it back next week and put some have something in it that makes you think about Easter. Well, you got to get something little." Something that's going to fit in this egg. So the next week, the children came back and they had their eggs. Betty had a pink egg. What do you, no, she didn't. She had a yellow egg, excuse me. Betty had a yellow egg. What do you think she might have put in here? by know? She put flowers because she said, we usually have flowers in Easter, just like we have flowers here on the cross. And she said, flowers don't bloom it's Christmas time, but we have flowers at Easter time. She couldn't put an Easter lily in there, it would have been too big. And then the teacher said, okay, David, what do you have? And David said, well, this isn't a real one, but this, whoops, what do you think it is? A butterfly. Why would he have a butterfly? What do they look? Do, are they butterflies when they first start life? They, are, they look like a worm, don't they? A caterpillar, that's right. And then they turn into a butterfly. And that's new life, isn't it? So David brought caterpillar. I mean butterfly Jack said I forgot about this until this morning and so he said I got some grass because grass turns green around Easter and and he said and my dad said yeah it's time to crank up the lawnmower when you get a little bit bigger that's going to be your job and Anne and Anne Ann brought something that one of you mentioned here in the did she bring? That that has a a cross on it, right? Almost like that. That's one my mother got in Italy. And finally she said, okay, Timmy, we haven't seen yours yet. What have you got in your egg? Now what do you think's in Timmy's egg? We've had flowers and we've had a butterfly and a cross. What do you think's in Timmy's egg? What? We had grass too, but I don't think, you think that's what Timmy brought? Timmy's egg was empty. All the kids, what'd you do that for, Timmy? Why didn't you put something in your egg? Timmy said, my mama read a Bible story to me about Easter. And when the ladies went to the tomb, when the two Marys went to the tomb, it was empty. And so my cross, my egg is empty because Jesus had risen. And that's really what Easter's all about. He's no longer dead. The tomb was empty. So I'm going to give each one of you an empty egg today to help you remember the tomb was empty and Jesus has risen. I'll also give you a piece of candy, but if any of you are allergic to peanuts, don't eat the candy. But before we do that, let's pray. You're not allergic to peanuts? Good. Dear God, it makes us sad to think that Jesus had to die on the cross for our sins, but we're happy today to know that on the third day, the tomb was empty, And Jesus returned as he said he would. And by your grace, we are forgiven. Amen.
0: I like everything, Miss Beverly. So whatever you got left. I'm not allergic to anything that I know of except hunger. <laughs> Thank you. It's okay. Our Old Testament lesson is from Psalm 16, verses seven through 11. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is Psalm 118 on page 839 and 840. I um, invite you to stand as you're able as we share God's word responsibly. The Lord is my strength and my power, the Lord has become my salvation. There are songs of, and the sense of the of righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly, the right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord.
2: The Lord has chastened me sorely, but has not given me over
0: to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I might enter through them, and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, for righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech
2: you, give us success.
0: Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God who has given us light. you are my God and I will give thanks to you you are my God I will extol you epistle reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 8. Now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Here ends the lesson. together in prayer. Lord, there are several times in the year that we adults become little children again. One is when we stand and wonder as we think about and look at the the place of Jesus' birth, the manger where the Son of God was born and we are confronted with a mystery about a God who loves us so much that he would come to live with us incarnate in our human form. And just as inspiring and, and as a mystery to us is Easter when we come and join Christians from all around the world and all the ages in that great mystery of proclaiming that the tomb was empty and the one who came to live among us incarnate rose from death and was victorious even over the power of death. Like little children we come with eyes wide open as we celebrate the mystery of your deep love for us. For in your love for us you created us and then did not abandon us when we abandoned you, but you set in motion a plan to bring us back to yourself, to make sure that we would be forgiven and follow the light of Christ all the way back home to you. So we come with this sense of awe and wonder in our hearts to celebrate the empty tomb and all that it means. We're thankful, Lord, that we are forgiven, that we have been pardoned, that our many sins have been carried away from us as far as the East is from the West, and you have forgotten them and remember them no more. Thank you that since Jesus lives, those that we've known and loved who've died in the faith are also alive, living in your presence forevermore. And thank you, Lord, that this means that we too will live forever with you in glory, not because of our deserving, but all because of your love and grace for us. Enable us so to live, Lord, that others follow the light of our lives, And find their way to the Savior, who will lead them home to your house as well. We pray in his holy name as he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, (coughs) hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread today is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid and yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Here ends the lesson. It is truly wonderful to be with you today on Easter Sunday here worshiping. I love being with a large crowd of Christians on Easter who are joyfully singing about Jesus and his victory over sin and death. It is so appropriate that all of us try our best to come to church on Easter Day because there is no other day quite as holy and meaningful to us as the day of Jesus' resurrection. The message of Easter fills us all with hope as we think about life and death. Jesus lives. We will live also. The message also fills us with peace as we realize that our sins have been taken away from us completely and permanently. We have been saved. Easter is also somewhat of a mystery. As we get older, mystery seems to be easier for us to find, at least that's my case. For instance, mystery has really come my way. Last year, for the first time, I was able to hide my own Easter eggs and not be able to find them. I'm still looking for some of them. Oh, I love a good mystery. Give me Agatha Christie. Show me another Hercule Poirot movie. Sherlock Holmes, anyone? I wonder if it's our human love of mystery that caused God to stage Jesus' resurrection the way he did. With no witnesses present, but abundant clues left everywhere. We're left with the mystery of the empty tomb, and we're here today to celebrate that mystery and to confess that we don't have to have all the answers to understand it, uh, and we don't have to have all the things put in order for us to be able to appreciate and to celebrate what that empty tomb means. The details of the story contained in the gospel tell us about this mystery, and this year we will be guided by Matthew. The first mystery that we encounter is that we really do not know the precise hour that Jesus rose from death back to life. It was to be sometime on the third day following his crucifixion on Friday. And the way they counted back then, the day of his death was Friday, that's one day. Saturday was day two, and Sunday was day three. But here's the problem. Where you and I count the beginning of day, of our day being midnight, they backed up six hours. Sunset was the beginning of the new day. So sometime between sunset, on the day you and I call Saturday. And sunrise on what we call Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. But we don't know precisely when. What we do know is the precise time of the pilgrimage of the women down to Jesus' tomb. Jesus' resurrection had already occurred by the time they arrived. And it was very early when they got there. Matthew said the visit was toward the dawn. Mark indicates that it was right when the sun had come up. Luke said it was early dawn, whatever that is. And John says it was still dark when they got there. Kind of reminds me of what my preacher friend Jim Nate says about sunrise. He says if the good Lord had meant for us to enjoy a sunrise, he would have made it later in the day. But it was early, real early when these women traveled to the tomb. I'm sure, though, they had already been up a very long time. In fact, I doubt they had been to sleep at all since the crucifixion. How could anyone sleep? Their sorrow was too profound. Their hopes were completely demolished. They had nothing left to live for. They had pinned everything on their belief that Jesus was the Messiah. The purpose of their journey that morning, according to Mark and Luke, was to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial. The hour of Jesus' death on Friday was so close to nightfall, so near to the start of the very restrictive Sabbath day Passover, that there had not been time for a proper burial. The visit of the women was an act therefore of bravery fueled by their deep grief and much love, and by their desire to make, make sure that their friend, who had been denied justice in life, would not be forgotten in death. Their journey made absolutely no sense. But neither does it make a whole lot of sense when I go visit the graves of my parents. But sometimes, I just have to go. These women just had to go to be near Jesus once again, even if it was only to be near his dead body for a little while. And just who these women were is also a bit of a mystery. The gospel writers uh, leave us a little bit uh, confused about that, except they agree on one thing. Mary Magdalene was in the bunch. Mary of Magdala had been known far and wide as a crazy lady before she met Jesus. That is one more demon-possessed woman, everybody said. But Jesus had given her sanity. Matthew says that the other person was the other Mary. Wouldn't you just love to have that name the other Mary. Who were they talking about? Well, some speculate that this other Mary was Mary, the mother of James, and therefore, the mother of Jesus also. Some say it was the wife of Alphaeus or Clopas. And there was perhaps a third woman, Salome, that might have been with them on this journey. Now, there are several things that I want to offer you to help you accept this fuzzy detail about who was present at the tomb. First of all, it was a real embarrassment to the early church that women had to be mentioned in this story at all. The word of women back then was not accepted in courts of law. Their understanding of events was considered to be as trustworthy as that of little children. So uh, when in Paul, when he was writing in 1 Corinthians 15 and summarized the gospel story, If you heard me carefully a little while ago reading, he didn't even mention the women. He talked with the disciples being the first one to see Jesus. And therefore he removed a point of contention from the male-dominated world. Why didn't the early church bother with the names of the women? Well, because they were women. They didn't consider it all that important back then. Now, don't get mad at me. That's not my attitude. My daughter used to just rise up in her women's liberation on me when I would say things like this, but that's the way it was. You have indeed come a long way, baby, as the slogan says. But there was probably another reason that there was some fuzziness of the facts about what happened exactly that morning. Those are evidences of mystery and confusion that surrounded everything that first Easter. Nobody expected anything out of the ordinary. Jesus had died. Jesus was buried. End of story. But when suddenly it wasn't the end of the story, such confusion broke out and things happened so fast that some precise details got lost in all the confusion. But where we lack unison voices, we find some beautiful harmony in the story. Mary Magdalene and her companions are integral parts of this story. You'd think some of Jesus' male friends would have gone with them. Perhaps the men were just too frightened or too cowardly to make this journey. But not these loving women. All four gospel writers tell us that there were angels present there in the garden tomb area when the women, women got there. Matthew is the only one that mentions the fact that there was an earthquake and that an angel caused that earthquake in order to roll away the stone from the opening of the tomb. Now the presence of angels always mean one thing. God is here with us. God is nearby. Events in nature like earthquakes and storms and darkness that had covered the land on Friday during the last Hours of Jesus' death on the cross, those also are ways of saying God is mysteriously present. Someone has said that the earthquake and the presence of angels Easter morning should be interpreted by us to mean that God was all over that place, present there in a mighty way. You could just feel God's presence all around you. The guards posted by Pilate were aware of something holy going on in their midst. And these battle-hardened soldiers were so afraid that they fell to the ground like dead men. They froze. The women were frightened too. And I want you to see this detail of the story, this mystery. No one, not the guards, not the women, no one saw Jesus walk out of the tomb. That is because Jesus didn't walk out of the tomb. He had already left, miraculously raised to life. Perhaps many hours earlier, he had been resurrected. The stone, you see, was not rolled away so that Jesus might get out. The stone was rolled away so that we might get in and see that it's empty. It was rolled away so we could see that Jesus is not there. The angel told them this when he said, I know why you're here. You're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. See for yourself where he lay. He is risen. Go tell his disciples to head for Galilee where they will see him. Matthew tells us that the women fled in fear and joy in one direction while the soldiers fled in fear in another direction The women went to the disciples to tell them, while the soldiers went to the religious authorities. As they were on their way, Mary and the others ran into Jesus, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. Matthew says that Jesus repeated the message of the angels. Go tell my disciples about this, and tell them to go to, to Galilee. Even now, you see, the good shepherd was caring for his sheep, getting them out of Jerusalem where they were in danger to go to a safer pasture. Of course, every mystery has to have several possible conclusions or else there is no mystery. From day one, there were many that believed in the resurrection of Jesus as the reason of the empty tomb. But there were those that believed another story. The earliest explanation from doubters was that the tomb was empty because the disciples had come during the night and had stolen the body. Matthew explains how this story originated, and he seems to take a great deal of delight in telling this story of how God frustrated the careful plans of those who had opposed Jesus. The religious leaders had begged Pilate to place his best soldiers there at the tomb. Their very presence would keep people away. The message would be clear. These soldiers crucified Jesus. Stay away or something else like that might happen to you. The fact that these battle-hardened soldiers fell to the ground like dead men and fled in fear from the scene indicates that something unexplainable and mysterious had occurred. The very thing that the religious leaders had hoped would quell all rumors had given credence to the angel's presence and to Jesus' resurrection. There was nothing now for the authorities to do but to bribe the soldiers into saying that they must have fallen asleep, giving the disciples an opportunity to come and steal Jesus' body. That, says Matthew, is where that story comes from. Christian apologist of our day, Josh McDowell, has done a very good job of showing how weak and illogical the soldier's story really is. McDowell says that if it was true that the terrified disciples had managed to muster the courage to come out of hiding and challenge the armed guards and steal Jesus' body, then that would mean that the disciples all lived and died for a lie that they knew was a lie of the original 12 disciples Judas took his own life John died as a very old man but the other 10 all died a violent death at the hands of the authorities and there were others beside the disciples who had seen the risen Christ and they also chose death at the hands of the Romans instead of any backing up on what they said was true None of them ever became rich or famous or powerful after the empty tomb. Never in history, says McDowell, has anyone ever been willing to die defending a lie when they knew it was a lie. All it would have taken would have been for one of them, just one of them, to crack under the pressure. But none of them ever did. Other wonderful stories were told by the gospel writers concerning the resurrected Christ. Some walked with him on that first Easter day as they went on the road to Emmaus. Another time, Jesus appeared to his disciples behind closed doors. Once he prepared breakfast for them at the seaside after they'd fished all night, apparently that was the first mobile waffle house, And when Jesus finally left them to return to God, he promised to be with them always and to return for them one day. Dr. Charles Barrett, my friend and retired professor of Walford College Religion Department, explains what happens on the first Easter in his textbook, Understanding the Christian Faith, using these words. A short time after Jesus's execution, something remarkable occurred among the small band of followers who had considered him a prophet. Wretched in their bereavement, they suddenly became joyous. Their new joy they announced came from the discovery that Jesus still lives, that he was in their midst and promised to be with them always in the power of and in their power Uh, of their sense of his presence and promise, they formed a tight-knit community shaped by their care for one another and by their zeal in debating with the authorities and enlisting new recruits for their cause. To Dr. Barrett's word, I will simply add these words. It appears to me that they returned to their confident way of living as if Jesus had not died at all. I love a good mystery, and the Easter story is the greatest mystery of all. Amen. Um.